I'll keep talking. There we go. We're here. Good morning, everyone. You can make your way in. Find your seat again and we'll get started. I let the conversation go on too long and now you're too deep into it. So you can make your way back to your seat. As Joe said, uh, my name is Brent Smith. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central. And uh, if you're new with us this morning, for the past couple months, we've been going through a series on the Holy Spirit starting back in January and just trying to get a big uh, picture of who he is and uh, what he does in our lives, what he does in the world. And so we're about two weeks into that. And I just wanted to bring us back a bit with uh, with something we said back near the first of the series, is that the danger when we're going through a series like this is that uh, we just kind of uh, look to gain an understanding of who the Spirit is. And so we just kind of make a list of what He does, and we can say, oh, isn't that great? I know I have this list now and in my notebook of what the Holy Spirit does. But our goal in this series isn't just so that you have a greater understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit. Our goal is that you would grow in your experience of the Holy Spirit, that you wouldn't just know some facts about the Holy Spirit, but that you would know the Holy Spirit. So back in the 1st of January, we said, when you read an impressive resume, your response is, I need that person. He would change everything. What he does best is what I need most, I've got to have him, right? When someone gives a, an impressive resume, that's the response from the business. And so when we see an impressive resume like we've seen from the Holy Spirit over the last two months, our response should be, I need him in my life. I don't want to just have a notebook checklist of what the Holy Spirit does. I want to know him in my life. We don't just want facts. We want fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I just wanted to bring us back to that. We're about two months in because I just don't want you just to have a nice list in your notebook. If you take notes, we want a fellowship with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay, so because the fact is, is that he's deeply involved in our lives. And for me, nothing really shows the the depth of that involvement and His power in our lives as when we look at the Holy Spirit and our words. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And uh, this, just this week as I was preparing, just looking at the Holy Spirit's work in our words, I was just kind of struck in a new, I guess, a, a fresh way of just how deeply personal the Holy Spirit is and how uh, immensely powerful His work is. And I hope and pray that uh, God does that for you as well this morning, that you'd see the work of the Holy Spirit maybe for the first time in your life. Uh, but if you've been walking with God for quite some time, I pray this morning you would see the work of the Holy Spirit in a, in a new way and see the, the depth of His personal involvement in our life and see just how uh, deep his power is as well. Okay, so let's pray to that end, and then we'll dive in. All right, 
<clears throat> Father, we just thank you uh, for your presence here with us this morning, and uh, we just pray uh, that you would uh, show us the depth of uh, the Spirit's involvement in our life. We would be struck uh, by how great his power is, and uh, we'd be changed. We pray, Father, that your Spirit would fill us, that we would have eyes to see things in new, fresh ways, and even for the first time. And so we just pray, Father, that your Spirit would meet with us this morning, that your Spirit would open our eyes to your Word, that we can behold the wonderful things contained in it. And so we want to know you more, we want to love you more, we want to grow in our understanding of you more, we want to experience your presence in our lives more. And so we ask humbly, we ask uh, in your grace that you would do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So why do I say that nothing shows uh, the deeply personal, powerful work of the Holy Spirit in our lives like his work in our words? Well, two things. First, we see his, the deeply personal work uh, because so much of what we say or so much of who we are is wrapped up in, who, in what we say. So much of who we are is wrapped up in what we say, in the words we say, and how we say them. So our words show people where we're from. So the first time you hear Ollie speak, you'll say, he's from Ireland, right? Or what, but (laughs) nonetheless, you'll say, he's from Ireland. You'll know where he's from because of how he speaks. And we make a lot of other conclusions about people from how they talk as well. We make conclusions about their education, their upbringing, their environment uh, that they live in, etc. Not to say we're always correct about our conclusions. I heard Jeff Foxworthy say that every time people hear his southern accent, they want to deduct 100 IQ points. <clears throat> right? And he's a, he's a smart guy. But uh, and, this, and on the other end, when we hear a British accent, I think we add 100 IQ points, right? There's just something about a British accent that's refined and sophisticated. And, you know, if, if, if I told you what I had for breakfast and Tim Bicknell told you what he had for breakfast, his would sound better, no matter what it was, right? I could have the full spread, eggs, pancakes, he could say cream of wheat, and you'd be like, oof, I think I'd rather have the cream of wheat. <laughs> it just sounds better with an English accent, okay? That's why you hear a lot of English accents on TV commercials, right? If they're going for sophistication, refinement, upper, whatever, they will use an English person, right? Avalon Spa, English voice, right? <clears throat> it just sounds better. But overall, I think we accurately learn a lot about people from what they say and how they say it, our personality, our values, etc. They all shine through in what we say and how we say it. And a professor, Ben and I, had once uh, would say, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket, right? Which is a paraphrase of Jesus in, uh, in Matthew 12, where he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And so we learn a lot about people by what they say. The words that we say are an indication of who we are. And so if the Holy Spirit can affect even the words 
that we say, then he is truly, personally, deeply involved in our lives because what we say and how we say them are part of the very core of who we are. Okay? So that's the first kind of conviction I had this week. The second, it shows just how powerful his work is. We'll look at James 3 in a minute, but in James 3, 4, and 5, James compares the tongue to a rudder of a big ship. And even though it's small, it has a lot of power. It can steer the big ship. It boasts of great things. And so there's a lot of power in the tongue. And so if the Holy Spirit can help us there, then truly he is powerfully involved in our lives. And so those were kind of the two convictions I had going into this. The Holy Spirit's work in our words is deeply personal and powerful. So from there, I want to show you three areas where this plays out in our conversations, in our prayers, and in our proclamations. Now, immediately, I'm not a very good preacher because three of those start with P, or two of those start with P, and two of them end with shuns, and they're not even the same two. So, but our conversations, our prayer, and our proclamations. At least I have three points, so we're doing all right. Okay? In those three areas, the Holy Spirit is ready to help us in our weakness. So go ahead and open your Bibles to the passages that Joe read from last week. You guys can go ahead and move those slides along. Ephesians 6. And... uh, Our focus will be where Joe left off last week somewhat in Ephesians 6, um, but we'll jump around a bit from there as well. Ephesians 6, verse 10, and uh, we'll read through to verse 20. Our focus will be more on 18 to 20, but it's, uh, it's hard to jump into Ephesians 6 just there, so we'll start back at verse 10. And as we read through, hopefully you're reminded of Joe's message last week that we're in a battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and so we have a great need to remain and train in the truth, right? And hopefully Joe, doing his best Enego Montoya impression across the stage, will cement that into your mind, the it-is-written attack that we need to come with the Word of God, all right? And if you missed last week, or even if you were here, it's a message that I would say we would do well to listen to every month, okay? So go back and listen to it, all right? It's foundational for our life as a Christian. Okay, Ephesians 6, and we'll start in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So first, I just want to show us for a minute, which is just kind of a a run-on from our last two weeks where we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and holiness and Him in us to make us holy, is that the Holy Spirit is there to help us in our regular, everyday conversations, in our conversations with family members, with friends, with co-workers, with classmates, with strangers, whatever it might be, just those regular, everyday conversations, the Holy Spirit is there to help us. We don't really see this outright in Ephesians 6, uh, but when you consider what it means to put on truth and righteousness and peace, uh, what it means to wield the sword of the Spirit, if that doesn't affect our words and what we say to each other, then it doesn't affect anything. So flip over to James 3. James 3. I just want to read you this from James 3, 2 to 12. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Father, bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Just tell us what you really think, James. Hey, James is—he's uh, pretty intense, as you can see there. Um, but we get what he's saying, right? Don't we get what what James is saying? Our actions usually take a little thought. There's a bit of a process there. Uh, But, you know, we can can, uh, be reminded of truth. We can hear the Holy Spirit. And there's a little bit of time, at least. Uh, In some instances, there's a longer time. But we have a bit of reaction time to process before we make actions, right? But our words, they can come out. Like that. So someone cuts you off on the Westmoreland Street Bridge, and it comes out. Your kids are annoying. Your wife says something to you, and we respond, right? 
our response with our words is very quick, and it doesn't take a lot of time for it to go from here to here to there, right? And so that's why James says, if anyone can tame the tongue, he's a perfect man. Our words fly off our tongue with barely any thought at all. And so he says, you know, if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. No human can tame the tongue and we're with him. You know, right on, James. I agree with you. I'm glad you see where I'm at. But then he also says, these things ought not to be so. And so you just say, whoa, wait a second here. No one can tame the tongue, okay? Who's supposed to tame the tongue? You are. Okay? So no one can tame the tongue, right? That's right. Who's supposed to tame the tongue? You are. And so the obvious conclusion is that you need some outside help to be inside you, right? Do you see what James is saying? No one can tame the tongue. You need to tame the tongue. And so the obvious conclusion, with man, these things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. When we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we can control our tongue. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so with the Holy Spirit in us, I mean, the fruit of the Spirit, if those things don't affect your words, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you know, promoting an atmosphere of peace and faithfulness and gentleness, we can control our words by the help of the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean that will be perfect, but it is possible to control your words with the power of the Holy Spirit. And James says that our tongue is like a fire, and so maybe lately we've been setting fires all over the place with our, our gossip or our harsh words, our, you know, going off the handle at our family, whatever it might be, we've been setting fires all over. The Holy Spirit is in us to change that. And so for the last two weeks, we've been talking about how the Holy Spirit is in us to make us holy. I just want to say first that that includes your words, okay? That includes your words. The Holy Spirit is in you to make you holy even in the words that you say, even in those things that can just come off your tongue so quick without any thought. He majors in changing who you are. The Holy Spirit majors in changing you who you are, even at the core of who you are, so that even those split-second reactions are being conformed into the image of Christ. That's why I say it's a deeply personal work when we say that the Holy Spirit can affect our words. If he's down in the well, he needs to be coming up in the bucket, right? If we say that we're spirit-filled, that we have the Spirit of God, then he needs to be coming up in the bucket. 
I just poured water all over my face. Okay. Not only is the Spirit in us to help us in our everyday conversations uh, with each other, but He's also in us to help us in our praying. And so we see in Ephesians six eighteen. Ephesians six eighteen, Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So after dealing with the armor of God, Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Prayer is so vital in the battle that Paul says, in all of this, in all of your putting on your armor, don't forget you have to be praying. You need to be praying. Put on the armor with prayer. William Cooper wrote a poem, and in it he says, Restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright, and Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. We need to be praying. Prayer makes the armor bright. Okay? And I read a thing uh, from Sam Storms recently, and he said, Except on very rare occasions, God will not bring freedom and deliverance in your life unless you ask Him. Except on very rare occasions, God will not bring freedom and deliverance in your life unless you ask Him. We need to be praying. And so Paul, in all this armor talk, all this warfare talk, he says, in all of this, be praying in the Spirit at all times with all prayer. We can't really unpack all the what it means to pray at all times and what it means to pray... Uh, with all prayer and supplication, but we'll just look at Paul saying, praying in the Spirit. We need to be praying, and the Holy Spirit's involvement in our prayer life is so important. It's like, it's like Paul is saying, you know, pray and don't forget the Holy Spirit's involved in your praying. Be praying, but don't forget the Holy Spirit is involved in your praying. Don't just give me... You know, a one-off, cold prayer. I'm in chains here. You know, I want to I wanna have a chance to proclaim the gospel boldly. I need you to be praying at all times. I need you to be praying uh, in all types of prayer. And don't forget this, the Holy Spirit is at work in your prayer. <clears throat> so obviously... It's important. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Some might say that praying in the Spirit just means praying in tongues, which uh, it probably includes that, but I think it's more than that. Okay? And I think uh, we get a great picture of what it means uh, to pray in the Spirit. We get a great picture of the Spirit's work in our prayer uh, from Romans 8. So if you want to flip over there, Romans 8 is quite helpful in showing us the Holy Spirit's work in our prayer. Romans 8, in verse 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons, as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then if you flip over, if you jump ahead to uh, 
to verse 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we did not For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I really want to read more in Romans 8, but we'll we'll stop there for now. Keep reading Romans 8. So here, uh, Paul helps us see how the Holy Spirit works when we come to prayer. And the first thing we see is that the Holy Spirit gives us a desire to pray by showing us we have a Father. In Him we cry, Abba, Father. He shows us who we're talking to, whose presence we're walking into when we pray. The Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children so that we can cry, Abba, Father. It's only by the Spirit that we see God as our Father and are able to come to Him with all the love and emotion and desire of a child. Ephesians 2.18 says that through Jesus we have access in one Spirit to the Father. In the Spirit, through Jesus, we are able to come to our Father. Lots of people can pray. You hear many prayers, especially after victories in football games and, uh, you know, award ceremonies. Lots of people can thank God, right? It's only when we have the Spirit of God living in us that we can say, Abba, Father. John Owen said, Without a due apprehension of God in this relation, no man can pray as he ought. Without an apprehension of God as our Father, we can't pray as we ought. And the Spirit gives that to us. We aren't just coming into the presence of the King of the universe. We're coming into the presence of our dad. You're his child and his heir. And that means that you're coming knowing that all that is his will one day be yours. You're the heir to the King. We're not coming to a political leader to nervously read a petition or the list of things we'd like him to change. We're not coming to an indifferent, grumpy, cold, old man. We're coming into the warm presence of our Father. The Holy Spirit, through the work of Jesus, brings us to the Father, seated on a throne of grace, His love powerfully shown to us through the death of His Son, that we might receive grace and mercy in our time of need. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He gives us a desire to pray by revealing God to us as our Father. He also gives us an immediate, spontaneous desire to pray. So He gives us a desire to pray generally by You know, if we view God as a cold uh, political leader, a cold dictator, if we view him as indifferent or uncaring, then we have no desire to pray. When the Spirit gives us a a revelation of God as our Father and a warm, loving presence, then we have, generally, we have a desire to pray. You understand what I'm saying? But spontaneously, immediately, the Holy Spirit can also give us 
a desire to pray. When we're riding on the bus, when we're at work, when we're walking with a friend or, or alone, he can speak to us and say, you should pray for that person. You should pray about that situation. No matter what we might be doing, you know, we could be shoveling the driveway or we could be shoveling the driveway or we could be shoveling the driveway even. And the Holy Spirit will speak to us and say, you should pray for Ollie. You should pray for him right now. And so he gives us a general desire to pray. He also comes in in our day, uh, whatever we might be doing, and says, you should pray right now. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Above all, and this I regard as most important of all, always respond to every impulse to pray. Where does it come from? It is the work of the Holy Spirit. So never resist, never postpone it, never push it aside because you are busy. Such a call to prayer must never be regarded as a distraction. Always respond to it immediately and thank God if it happens to you frequently. Always respond to it immediately and thank God if it happens to you frequently. So the Holy Spirit gives us the desire to pray, but not only that, He's also greatly involved in the words that we actually pray. Whether it's by giving us the gift of tongues, He's certainly involved there. It's His gift. To pray to God in another language we don't understand, um, he's there, and it's part of that. Whether it's as we read in Romans 8, when we don't even know the words to pray, and whatever situation we're in, all we can do is groan under the weight of it. The Holy Spirit is making intercession for us. Probably one of the most comforting verses in the whole Bible, that no matter what your situation might be in, how intense it might be, whatever the pressure is, and you don't even know how to formulate the words, you don't even know how you should pray, at, pray about it, you don't know, you know what God's will is in it, and all you can do is groan under the weight of it, we can rest assured that the Holy Spirit is making intercession on our behalf. Whew. It's a deeply personal, powerful work of the Holy Spirit that He can take your groaning, not even English words, just groaning, and make intercession for you. Or whether it's Him directing us in our prayer and giving us the words to say about a particular situation, bringing to mind certain scriptures, directing us to pray something about a particular person or situation that we weren't even thinking about. Many times when I'm praying for someone, there's no other way to really say it other than the Holy Spirit gives you the words to pray for the person, right? You're just praying along and then suddenly he brings to mind certain things, certain scriptures, and you're praying and he's directing you in that. The Holy Spirit is giving you the words to pray for that person. And I think that that should be normative. Is that a word? Normative? I don't know. Regular? Rita says yes, so let's say normative is right. That should be normative in our prayer life. That shouldn't be the exception. When we come to pray, we should be asking, seeking, desiring the Holy Spirit's leading in our prayer. When we come to pray for someone, just say, Holy Spirit, lead me in this. Bring, me, bring to mind 
scriptures direct and empower this prayer. And he'll do it. That should be a normal experience in our prayer life. But also, there are other times when the Spirit comes in a greater way. His presence comes and brings freedom and power and direction in a way that's above and beyond a regular, everyday uh, time in prayer. And how many times have we gathered for our Sunday night prayer meetings and felt the Holy Spirit come with a power and a freedom that wasn't there previous, right? Not to sugarcoat things, because sometimes we gather together and we, like Paul, we toil in prayer. We struggle in prayer. It's work, and we plow through it, which is fine. Other times, the Holy Spirit comes in a way where it's easy. It's easy to pray. And if you've been to TAG, maybe you've been there for times like that, when the faith seems to rise in the room, uh, there's a freedom. The words just seem to come out. And at what once was, you know, kind of slugging along, you're now sprinting in prayer. It's a, it's a great time to be there. It just seems easy and natural to pray. It's a bit of a funny analogy. On try, you, you, your goal with, with pictures is try to cover the big audience, but this just came to me. I can't really uh, shake it. So when I was a kid, uh, a big part of my life was playing NBA Jam on the Sega Genesis. Now, immediately, I've kind of narrowed in. But NBA Jam's basketball game in the Sega Genesis, you're playing for a while, and then all of a sudden, he's on fire, Right? And shots that you couldn't make before, you can now make. You could shoot from the other end of the court, and it goes in swish, right? And the guy's like, he's on fire, boom, shakalaka. Anyway, it's awesome. That's what it's like. You're going along, shots that were hard before, the Holy Spirit comes in a special way, and suddenly you can't miss. You're on fire, boom, shakalaka, right? Hopefully you're with me if you're... With me? You with me? All right. <clears throat> Everything is amplified, I guess. People that pray before, you know, you turn around to try to check who's praying because you never heard them pray like that before. People that come to prayer meeting but are usually, you know, quiet. You know, they're praying out loud. There's a freedom and there's a power that the Holy Spirit brings at times. And that's why I'm always uneasy now to miss a prayer meeting because who knows what's going to happen at the prayer meeting, right? And I'd hate to come on a Tuesday morning and Joe say, whew, you missed one on Sunday night, right? He can do it. He's done it. He's going to do it again. So we should be there not to miss it. And if you say that you've never really experienced uh, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, I would say that without a doubt, the times I've experienced the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in a strong, powerful, real way has been at a public prayer meeting. When we've gathered to pray, maybe it's just as elders, maybe it's as the church body, but that is without a doubt the most times I've experienced the power 
and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So if you say, well, I've never really experienced the Holy Spirit in that way before, I would say, get to a prayer meeting and get praying. So the Holy Spirit is at work in our conversations, in our prayers, and lastly, in our proclamations. So if you look back at Ephesians 6, if we look back at Ephesians 6, so Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit. And he says in verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So maybe when you think proclamations, you think standing on a milk crate at the corner of King Street and yelling at the top of your lungs, but that's not really what we mean. It could it could could be that. I don't want to hinder you from doing that if you want to do it. But but proclamations, if you look up the definition of what it means to proclaim, it doesn't necessarily mean you're yelling. It means a public announcement dealing with something of great importance. A public announcement uh, about something that's very important. And what's of greater importance than the message we have that Jesus has come to save. And so anytime I would say we share the gospel, we are proclaiming the gospel. No matter if it's a quiet conversation on the bus or if you feel to get your milk crate and go to the corner of King Street, you are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's a public announcement of something of great importance. And in that proclamation... We have the confidence there as well that the Holy Spirit is at work. Paul asked the Ephesians to pray that he might be given the words to speak. And if you look in Luke 12, 11 to 12, Jesus says to the disciples, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about having all the right words. Don't worry about not knowing how to respond. Don't worry about having a prescripted outline of your conversation. My Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Not a week ahead, not a day ahead. That's not what the promise is. The promise is that He'll give you the words in that very hour of you proclaiming the gospel. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, we don't need a prepackaged, cold, cookie cutter formula for sharing the gospel, right? We have people come door to door, they ring the doorbell, and it's like hitting playback on the tape recorder, right? And so they come to you, and when they leave your house, they hit rewind, they go up to the next doorbell, they push it, and they hit play again on the tape recorder. It's a prepackaged, cold, cookie-cutter formula for sharing their message. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we have the promise that He will give us the specific words to say at the specific time for a specific person. And we can trust Him 
in that. We don't have to have uh, a prepackaged formula. Because if we're honest, formulas and books for how to share the gospel is not our big problem. A lack of those resources are not our problem. There's lots of books that you can read and, and you can benefit from them. Our problem is trusting the Holy Spirit to give us the words to say. Because there's a lot of good advice in those books, but let's face it, it's not rocket science, right? It's you sharing what Jesus has done in your life. It's you sharing what Jesus has done in your life. It's you telling someone else that there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. It's not rocket science. You can learn book, you can read books and learn from it, but ultimately it's trusting the Holy Spirit that he's going to take the message that there's power in the name of Jesus to forgive sin, to bring life, to break every chain and apply it to that person, to apply it to your coworker, to apply it to a family member, to apply it to your neighbor, to apply it to your classmate, to apply it to a teammate, to apply it to a stranger on the street. It's trusting the Holy Spirit will apply the message of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ for that person. We trust him that he's not going to hang us out to dry, but that he's going to be as God faithful to all his promises. He gives us the words He also gives us the power behind the words. He empowers our witness. He fills us to proclaim the gospel. In Luke 4, Jesus stands up in the temple. He says the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, among other things, to proclaim the gospel of peace. And when we get to the end of Luke, Luke 24, when we get to the end of Luke, in Luke 24, He says to his disciples, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, I'm at verse 47, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. They had the message that Jesus is going to die. He's going to rise again for the forgiveness of sins for life, for freedom. They had the message. They had the game plan. But listen to verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, which is the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. They had the message that Jesus was coming to save, to rescue. But he says, wait in the city till you receive power from the Holy Spirit. And we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, up, come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So the message alone wasn't enough. They needed the power of the Holy Spirit to deliver it effectively. The Spirit was on Jesus to proclaim good news. And now, in Luke 24, Acts 1, he passes the baton. He passes the baton of the Holy Spirit to us to proclaim the good news. So I just want to end by showing you this. And you can 
draw the conclusion yourself. Eight different times in the New Testament when it says specifically that people are filled with the Holy Spirit, all eight times it's linked with the proclamation of the Gospel. Eight times filled with the Holy Spirit, that phrase is used all eight times. It's linked with people proclaiming the Gospel. Luke 1, 13-15, John the Baptist. Luke 1, 39-41, Elizabeth. Luke 1, 67-69, Zechariah. Acts 2, the disciples at Pentecost. Acts 4, Peter. Acts 4, 31, the church in general. Acts 9, 17-20, Paul. Acts 13, 8-11, Paul again. All eight times filled with the Spirit is linked to the proclamation of the Gospel. Whether it's Elizabeth's one sentence or Peter's lengthy sermon in Acts 2, the Spirit fills so that the message can go out. And we can become so uh, selfish at times and we just look for the Holy Spirit's power just for ourselves and not for the purpose of sharing the Gospel. We want an experience like Acts 2 with rushing winds and tongues of fire without Peter's sermon in Acts 2. We want the experience for ourselves. I want the rushing wind. I want the tongues of fire. But I don't want to stand up like Peter did. I don't want to stand before the crowd. I don't want to stand before someone. I don't want that awkward situation. I just want the experience of the Holy Spirit and the, and the wind and the rushing wind and the tongues of fire. But don't get me to do anything similar to what Peter did. It can be very easy as a church for everybody to kind of turn around and look at each other and just focus on each other and just about the Holy Spirit for each other, which is fine. But the Holy Spirit's purpose in filling us is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> it's not what we've been given the Holy Spirit for. It's just to close in. It's not what we've been given Him for, and it's not healthy for us. It's a bit like, it's a bit like the 20-year-old with his crappy Chevy Cavalier with the 10,000-watt sound system in it. Okay? All over the place. Probably one of those stupid mufflers on it, too. Anyway, it's a bit like that guy with his 10,000-watt stereo system with the big speakers and the amp and the subwoofer in the trunk that makes grocery shopping impractical, right? It's like him with his windows rolled up and just blasting the music. First of all, that power of that sound was not meant to be contained in a space like that. And second, it's not healthy. You see what we're saying? The power of that sound system is not meant to be contained within the four walls of that car, and it's not healthy for the person in the car. The windows need to be rolled down, and the message needs to go out. Okay? You don't have a 10,000-watt sound system in your car, so you can drive with the windows up. You drive with the windows down, so the message can go out. And so for us, we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can roll the windows down. 
It's not healthy for it just to be focused on us. Okay? So when Jesus says, you will receive power to be my witnesses, he says, I'm going to put the sound system in the trunk. It's time to roll the windows down and let the message go out. And so, as a church, we want to roll our windows down. We want to play our part in the message of the gospel going out to every street, in every city, every city, in every country, every country in the world. We want to be a part of the message going out. It's what the Holy Spirit is in us for. He fills you so that you can be witnesses for Jesus. It's what... He wants to do. He fills you so that you can say there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. My God is the God who saves. Jesus can change your life like he changed my life. The Holy Spirit fills you to that end. Why don't we stand and I just want to pray for us I don't think we'll I don't think we'll sing another song I think I think I'll just pray for us uh, because we need the Holy Spirit because we need uh, to be speaking holy words to our families, we need to be speaking holy words to our co-workers. Uh, we need to be, we need the fruit of the Spirit flowing off our tongue in all our conversations because we want to see our families built up. We want to see our wives encouraged. We want to see uh, our husbands encouraged. We want to see our children uh, grow up in an atmosphere of peace and faithfulness and patience Uh, so that they can know how God relates to them. Uh, We want, when we get to uh, proclaiming the gospel to our co-workers, we want our everyday conversation to line up with that. We don't want there to be a disjoint there. When you go to share the gospel with your co-worker and you've just been rude for the other six days of the week, that's a disjoint in the message of the gospel. We want that to line up. We want to be people that pray. We want to be a church that understands that we have God as our Father and we don't have to come cold and we don't have to come uh, nervous. We can come with confidence to the throne of grace that we'll receive grace and mercy in our time of need. We want our, our prayer to be directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit and we need to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the ends of Fredericton, to the four corners of Fredericton and to the four corners of the world. We need to be proclaiming the gospel. And I know I can't do it in my own strength and in my own power. I'm much too happy to sit on my couch. Right? My flesh is much too happy to sit in my couch and never uh, walk to my neighbor and tell him the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we need the Holy Spirit for that. So let's pray. Father, we pray uh, that your Holy Spirit would do these things in us. We want to come to you and we just ask, Father, that you would fill us with your spirit. In Ephesians 5, when you say, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled 
with the Holy Spirit. We know that uh, when a drunk person uh, speaks, he makes his drunkenness very clear. And so uh, we want to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that it comes out in our language that every time uh, we open our mouth, uh, people know uh, that there's something different. People know that we're filled with the Spirit of God. And so we pray for that, Father. We pray that your Holy Spirit would bring uh, peace and a uh, gentleness and love that we haven't known before in our families. Uh, even if we've been uh, in routines and habits for 20 years of uh, yelling at our wife and yelling at our kids and uh, gossiping and, and lying, we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would make our tongues holy. We want to rest on your Holy Spirit to say, uh, change who I am, even in the words that I say. We trust your Holy Spirit for that. We want your Holy Spirit to come and ignite and empower our prayers and direct our prayers because we want to be praying in the will of the Father. We want our desires to line up with your desires because your word says that you give us the desires of our heart. And so we pray, Father, that our desires would be so changed by your Holy Spirit uh, that we'd be praying in the will of the Father, that we know that we have a Father who loves us. We're not coming to read a petition. We're not coming to read a a to-do list before a cold, uninterested uh, king, but we're coming and sitting on the lap of our Father. And we pray, Father, that you would fill us with your Spirit, that we'd have that 10,000-watt sound system in the trunk, and that we would proclaim the message of the good news of Jesus Christ to this hurt uh, and dying world because we want to see more and more people, chains fall off, arms raised from dead to life, uh, from uh, weakness to strength, from no hope to hope. We pray, Father, that you would work that in us. Help us not to restrict ourselves, uh, but we want to be a part of sharing the gospel to all corners of the earth And we know, Father, that you've placed us in Fredericton for a reason. And so we want to influence this city with the message of the gospel. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit to do it. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Okay.